proper paperwork protects profits, and that's no secret. But how does somebody who's just getting started in real estate investing set themselves up for success quickly and easily without breaking the bank or feeling like they've got to employ an entire legal team to get the job done right? Well, that's exactly what we're going to cover in today's episode. So tune in to find out how. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Drew, and I want to welcome you back to Learn How to See Better. It's the only podcast out there that'll improve your vision the longer you listen. And in today's episode, I'm excited to be talking about a fun topic called paperwork. Yeah, paperwork and how to protect your property profits with proper paperwork, right? And so uh, I've got some fun stories I'm thinking about because, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of hiccups uh, that can be made uh, with your paperwork that will prevent you from having profitable properties. And so you want to be wise, um, set yourself up for success out of the gate, and just really raise your level of awareness. And that's what my goal is to do uh, for everyone here today. So I'm going to talk about paperwork from a couple of different angles and uh, how it applies particularly to, to real estate investors, right? Cash flow, landlords, uh, property owners. Um, but really, you can think about this on a wider scale for uh, business owners in general, because we've all got some level of paperwork to deal with uh, in any type of business. So uh, we can look to minimize it. We can look to streamline it. But we've got to understand it and respect it if we want it to be able to work for us. So with that, uh, let's get into the, the topic at hand here, talking about some paperwork. So part of the reason I even thought about uh, taking some time out um, a busy schedule to really share some of this uh, experience, the set of experiences I've had uh, with managing income-producing properties is, you know, I've been doing this since 2009, and there were a lot of uh, growing pains, to say the least, in this overall experience of getting things to the point where they are now that, that uh, I feel pretty good about. And I can share more about that later, but, you know, going back uh, to some of the trials and tribulations and really the key different areas that you can find yourself struggling in when it comes to basic paperwork and they'll pop up in the most unique ways. And uh, some of them I'll share now, you might find amusing, but at the time they were like, oh, what do we do about this? And, and how do you handle the situation? And so of the five areas I'm gonna talk about, I'll just kind of roll through them one by one and you'll, you'll catch the gist of, of what I'm putting down here as we go along. But the first area where it has to do with paperwork is, you know, I've talked about um, so far some of the different things that you have to be aware of if you want to look at simple tips for success, right? You know, you've got to have your key criteria figured out. Uh, you've got to have a plan for your accounting. You've got to have uh, some of the smart steps of your marketing figured out. And then lastly, there's your paperwork, right? And so uh, one of the first areas, once you get that marketing going and people are lined up to see your property and you're ready to get that good resident, you've got to do what? You've got to have them put in some sort of application, right? You got to get them to apply. That's the call to action. You see the place, you like the place, what do we want to do next? We're not going to dance all day. We want to move forward. So you got to apply. And it's funny because I was thinking about one of the first properties we rented. There was a, such a high demand because we, we figured out how to be able to successfully market uh, a property for rent early on. And we had the right tools and the right game plan. So now you had a lot of applicants. And there was this one instance where we were you know, having a showing and I think there was a couple of people or someone showed up late or earlier. However, the situation played out. We showed the place and uh, multiple people had arrived and yeah, well, I want it. Let's move forward. 
and we had our, our printouts of our application. It was a one pager and someone runs to the car to go fill it out. And I remember we get the thing back and between the conversations, we didn't sit there and inspect the paperwork right then. They, I think they handed it back to us folded up, right? They wanted to keep their information private. So we go to, you know, process the application. One of the first things we realize is it's problematic is we are unable to read this un <laughs> this handwriting, right? This attempt at, at legible handwriting. Um, we couldn't we couldn't fill out the background check. We couldn't process. We couldn't we couldn't really run the application, put in all the data in our system because the handwriting was illegible. And I was like, man, I really wish we could have had them send an email with all this or type in a form. And that's where we thought, okay, all right, well, that's not all the time. So you don't want to change your process just because of, uh, you know, one instance, the person was in a hurry. We're not sitting there trying to slam their handwriting per se, but uh, we couldn't work with it, right? And so, you know, in this case, the other party was also interested in the property, but they didn't have, um, they weren't sure they needed to sleep on it. They didn't want to put an application in and pay the app fee just yet. So, okay, guess what? Uh, they said they'll, they'll text it in later, right? They'll send a picture text. Well, that was all well and good, except for the fact that <laughs> they must have forgotten to uh, clean their hands after they ate something greasy and touched their phone and their camera because you couldn't make out the picture that they sent across because the, the greasy picture um, was not able to be processed either. Everything was too blurry. And so we kind of chuckled about these, these two unique and both innocent situations, right? You got motivated people ready to, to, to rent a house. But we said we could make things a little bit more simplified if we either had this as some sort of form, perhaps, or something people could submit online or uh, just ask certain key pieces of information via, via email uh, or collect just basic information, right? Keep things really simple. And that's when it hit us, even though we thought our one pager asking, you know, all the, the basic data points, right? We're good. What's your contact information? What's some general information about uh, basically your, your stability and ability. And when I stay, say stability, we want to know about, you know, what's your living setup now? Um, how'd you find us? How'd you get here? You know, what's bringing you this direction? And then what's your ability, uh, ability as far as um, funding and wherewithal? How well can you uh, afford the rent, right? Is it affordable to you? So these are all part of the, the application process. So we thought, okay, it hit us like a Mack truck that unless you want to be an, you know forensic level handwriting specialist, you might want to streamline by going online. And so that's what exactly what we did. We realized that this one pager that asked all this information, you know, we didn't need all this data about references immediately. I mean, it might be good to collect, uh, but, you know, some of the, the details aren't really necessary to get an application process. So looking at a way that you could get things simplified, you know, how you can make them online for you, right? Um, keep it easy. And, and you're going to up the odds that you get completed applications because that can be pretty frustrating as well, right? Um, you know, we saw that early on. You, you just put a form online together. And it's like, hey, here, go go here and, and type it all in. And, and generally, you would get past any level of illegible handwriting because it's all typed form. Um, yeah, there could still be some typos, but that wasn't very common. Uh, but what we would see initially is instances where people just wouldn't fill out certain information, right? Okay, we need to know, um, right, do you have uh, a means by which you're going to pay your rent, right? Um, are you able to view the property on weekends or whatever the question might be? 
And if it was critical data, right, we needed to, to make sure this, this information was completed in the form. So being smart about how uh, you do things, whether you uh, do it online or offline, high tech or low tech, we recognize that, yeah, having a process by which you can even get the applications into the system in an efficient way is critical. Uh, because we've had instances where the marketing worked so well, you know, you had people lined up around the block and you spend, you know, now all of a sudden your whole Saturday, you feel like you're, you're spinning show in the place because people are available this time, people are available that time. And I can share more ways to maximize efficiency there. You know, it's a separate topic. But the idea being those interested parties, a percentage of them want to apply. They want to move forward. And you're only going to be able to take one. So you want to make sure that you don't uh, overload your back uh, with your application process because, again, it's just part of the administrative necessary elements, and there are multiple ways to get your applications processed. But if you are going to manage them all yourself and not use uh, a third party, uh, you want to keep your things simple. Uh, you want to look at uh, ways you can eliminate uh, kind of the human component of the handwriting, right? Move it online. That's where people uh, are these days. They want to keep things simple, online, and easy. And that way you get them completed. So that's just a, a simple tip I wanted to share there along the line of applications as one of these first pillars here of the five that I'm going to talk about today that are related to a proper paperwork and protecting your property profits. Next up is the beautiful background check. Hey, first off, I'm going to tell you, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an attorney, right? So I'm not giving you legal advice here, but... Um, if you ask around, you may commonly find that it is uh, common practice and wise practice to do some sort of background check and know who you're putting in your property. You know, Rich Dad always teaches the, the idea that your, your property is, uh, you know, an asset or a liability and you need to know the difference, right? There's a difference between your home taking money out of your pocket and an investment property putting money in your, prop, in your pocket. And so if you want your property to be an asset, right, and produce the income, that underlying income producer, you know, has to do with that resident. And uh, running an appropriate background check, you know, credit and criminal, to have clarity on, um, you know, the individual that you're putting in your property is, is going to be um, one of the key components to success so that you're setting yourself up uh, well early on. I mean, you can think about all the different scenarios when um, you have a property that's good quality in a good area. It's priced attractively. It's marketed well, right? Um, you're going to have people from all over that want to uh, that want to apply, that want to live there. Some are even going to come from out of state, right? How are you going to handle that? Um, you know, there's no local resident history. There might be totally different uh, landlord-tenant laws, right? Uh, looking at some of the things that you can do to make sure that your process um, can evaluate fairly and equally um, a resident that's coming from out of state, right? Some systems that you might look at for your background checks, they only look at people in the area that you live. Uh, if someone's coming in from out of state, set your process up so that you can just make sure your checks and balances are complete. You know, this goes for roommates as, as well. Um, I've had instances where, uh, you know, everything checked out with an initial applicant and they say, yeah, well, my roommate's going to be living here too. And, uh, you know, they apply and we run the background check and it's actually no bueno uh, for the roommate, right? For whatever the, the details are uh, that would disqualify the, the applicant from, from living there in the situation. And it's sometimes a little bit tricky. It's like, okay, you're good, but um, if you've got to live with this person, that's actually not going to work out because this is, this individual's not 
approved, right? Their background came up, uh, the background check came up with some key issue here, and for these reasons, it, you know, it's not going to pan out. And so when you look at that, uh, that's something people don't uh, commonly take into account. I mean, I can I can look at you know my very first situation as a landlord. It was like, okay, it was a, a young couple. Uh, it turns out that they weren't quite ready for you know moving into a home. They'd have been better served for something smaller at the time, but uh, in this case, they had, I think the guy had a sister or something or whatever the case may be that, that needed a place to stay for a while, right? That, uh, or that was going to room with the couple in the extra room and, and be there and just mostly working, right? It seemed pretty harmless and simple. And so we didn't, you know, really think about the issue that much. But um, since they wanted to put the person on the lease, it's like, okay, we need to go forth and do the background check. And so again, you have a scenario where, you know, two people might have been good, but uh, we want to add someone in and the third person doesn't qualify, uh, you've got to have a process by which you handle that. That could even go all the way down to the, you know, a married couple and, um, you know, there's kids, um, but the kids are adults, you know, might be a 20 year old living at home. Okay. We've still got to do a background check. And if they're going to be on the lease, right, there's certain qualifications that you want to at least give consideration to and get your appropriate guidance on how you're going to handle, uh, because you want to have, uh, the right systems in place to basically do, uh, the right checkup on everyone before you move forward. So your background checks are key and you don't want to overlook those in your process overall. And just because you do a background check and you find some things that might raise an eyebrow, it might not necessarily be a deal killer, right? Um, so you've got to be able to think through those things. What were the nature of the infractions? And you as the individual can assess your own uh, tolerance for risk and, um, and move forward in the most appropriate way for you. That's why I like to start with a pretty clear-cut lease, right? Even when you're looking at just the, the, the time frame, the terms of the lease. Okay, rent's going to be $1,000 a month. This is a one-year lease. At the end of the lease, there's going to be a month-to-month holdover, right? And there's 30 days notice required from each party if we're going to break this arrangement moving forward. That's just one example of how having clarity in your lease around terms can be a key thing for you, right? Um, you know, you see a lot of instances where someone's renting a property, it might be a friend, it's just kind of a ha- handshake agreement. Yeah, I'm gonna pay you a month, every month to live here. Uh, but you as the business owner need to have some degree of planning because if the person's, um, you know, the 29th says, hey, you know, tomorrow's the 30th and I won't be paying on the first because I'll be gone by the first, uh, you all of a sudden have a situation on your hands. Um, so you wanna be able to have the right paperwork and the provisions in place with your lease that say, hey, these are, you know, this is the arrangement that both parties need to agree to. The time frame, the price, right? Um, you know, some of the other terms, other residents, you know, what's your policy around pets? Uh, are you okay with someone smoking in the property or does that, that not matter? Is the property furnished particularly with appliances, right? Um, you know, is it clear to the tenant that they don't get to leave with your washer and dryer when they move out? So again, you know, what are the terms of your lease and how clear is that made out to other individuals that are going to be inhabiting your property? Because having terms of the lease that are not clearly spelled out, that's the stuff that gets people in the hot water and potentially in a courtroom because it wasn't clear that, oh wait, the resident says, I, I, I didn't know I don't get all of my deposit back. What is this non-refundable portion? 
Well, okay, if it's stated in the lease that there's a portion held back for as a cleaning deposit or, or whatever the case may be, then that's going to help you know, prevent that before uh, it even comes up as an issue. Gives you the opportunity to say, hey, you know, understand there's a dispute here, but let's check the paperwork. Let's check the paperwork on that, right? Um, you know, when you look at the fact that, um, that a lease is generally designed to outline the, the entrance, the expectations during, and even the process by which someone exits the property, you want to be clear about that. What do you want the place to look like when the resident leaves? Do you just want them to take their stuff and go? Or do you expect it to be broom clean? Do you need it, you know, move in ready? Right? What sorts of expectations are set for both parties inside the agreement? Right? And there's obviously your local laws that you need to be aware of. Um, there's options here. Right? If you elect to hire, uh, say, a realtor or real estate agent to uh, handle the placement or the you know, finding the tenant and placing them, kind of like a property manager, um, you know, they might be using their standard paperwork. This could be something that you're not having to worry about. So looking at your sources of a lease, if you're going to own multiple properties, uh, maybe having something customized that is drawn up by an attorney that, you know, you can use as a blanket lease across all your properties might be a great idea for you. But again, you're still going to have some of the basic elements that you want to think about. Uh, the time frame, the price, the terms, uh, what are the key things that need to be understood, right? Does the property have a pool? Does the property have, you know, extensive landscaping that needs to be considered here? Are there HOA rules that need to be referenced in the lease? Because you might have the agreement uh, with your resident, but what is the expectation um, that falls upon the resident as a responsibility based on your arrangement with the homeowners association, right? Or the neighborhood that you live in. So these things are key to have spelled out in the lease early on to prevent problems because you don't necessarily want uh, the situation where the judge is saying, hey, let's check the paperwork on that. And you're finding out, oh, you either missed a spot, had an error or an omission. So having good paperwork is going to be critical there with your leases. Now, one way that you can prevent feeling violated in your property management setup as you handle your experience as a landlord and your paperwork is knowing how you're going to handle violations, right? What happens when you get a letter from the HOA, right? You know, I've had instances where, you know, where I live, we don't get a lot of rain, but then all of a sudden in the spring, you get a deluge of rain and, and you got desert landscaping. And then a couple of weeks go by and the rocks have been taken over by the weeds. And it's like, Hey, okay, you don't live there. All right. And uh, you maybe no longer uh, reside in the property. It's your rental. But guess what? The HOA says, hey, your lawn looks horrific. It looks like a jungle. Get rid of these weeds or we're going to fine you. Well, what's the expectation you have set up in your paperwork, right? If your resident's like, hey, I ain't going out there and pulling weeds, what's in the paperwork? What's the arrangement around expectations for keeping the yard work up to par? If you have it written into the lease and it's been discussed and agreed to and, and understood, okay, that's a nice neighborhood, gated community, there's an HOA, we got to abide by their rules, right? Fines will be passed on to the resident for lack of compliance. How do you handle these things? You may elect to be the hands-on owner that says, okay, if I get the letter, I'm going over there with my, my rake and my tools, and I'm going to pull weeds and do whatever I need to do to get back to compliant. Having clarity on which of these uh, scenarios you need to handle as the owner and what your resident needs to handle um, as the one living there that's got to be clear. It needs to be upfront. 
what's stated in the lease? Do they have a copy of the expectations from the HOA? Do you send them communications from the HOA with updates, right? You know, we had a situation where the HOA had to close the pool for repairs. So they had an electronic setup with the uh, pool access through the gates and they shut off all the key fobs while they dealt with repairs. Well, guess what? In the middle of the summer, don't you think the resident wants to know that? Right. So, you know, that's not necessarily a violation, but having an understanding that um, if the HOA needs to take action and uh, a situation uh, where the pool in this case had been violated, uh, it was kind of falling on all of the residents. There had been uh, misuse of the pool. So the pool was shut down uh, because there had been damage and it was closed for repairs. So it was effectively a group violation that the HOA had uh, essentially said there's a violation here and everybody's going to suffer. So you've got to have a mechanism by which you communicate that with your resident, maybe even having something in the lease that says if there's actions that the community takes um, as the HOA that, that it impacts the community, you've got to just got to deal with it and tough it out, right? If the pool's closed, understand that may be an inconvenience, but it's probably not the only pool in town. So these violations can be key because it's not uh, essentially fair, right? If you have a violation that you, the owner, need to take care of from the HOA and you disregard it, it could uh, negatively impact the experience of your resident. So keeping in mind that the uh, some, some people look at the HOA as a necessary evil. I look at them as more necessary and sometimes uh, the situations we have to deal with, we have to regard as not necessarily good or evil, but they just are. So your violations are clear. Uh, that you uh, want to have spelled out, uh, especially if there are lease violations. What is the period to cure? Is it a 10-day thing, a 7-day thing? If you find out there is uh, drastic legal, um, you know, illegal activity taking place at, at your property, right? What's the mechanism by which that's handled, right? Uh, it may be that that you know, law, outside law enforcement is getting involved and that kind of overrides what's taking place in the lease. But have that clarity spelled out if you have a resident that's uh, violated the lease uh, or the HOA terms, and then also uh, how you as the owner have to be able to handle violations from the HOA, possibly even the city. If there's no HOA, but the city says the weeds are were a foot tall, how are you going to handle that or that there's some other issue with the property? So keeping that in mind can uh, keep you out of hot water, and uh, it's all about that paperwork and how you have it lined out. Now, informational updates aren't a typical part of your paperwork that you would think are important. But let me position it this way. Let's say rent hasn't come in. It's the 10th of the month. You know your tenant doesn't tech, check their email, but you've been calling, you've been texting, you want to get an update, and guess what? There's no reply. The phone is cut off. You didn't know that. Oh, they switched carriers on the third of last month when rent was on time. And now they just forgot to pay rent because they didn't get your text reminder that you always send out a few days before the first. Hmm. How do you rectify this? Well, one is to periodically check in with your residents to say, hey, you know, anything changed? Do we have your latest information on file? You know, please be sure to update us. Maybe having that written into the lease that says if you get new contact information, you'll update us within a reasonable time frame so we can reach you if there's an issue or if we need to communicate with you about a repair or an emergency. So having a simple form or a simple process by which you're checking in with your residents and either requesting this or requiring that it's provided uh, upon change, uh, these sorts of things are critical, right? Um, 
I can remember one time we had a situation where uh, a resident mentioned that due to a change in relationship they'd had with someone in their personal circle, that they no longer felt uh, safe at their apartment. And for this reason, they went and changed the locks. All well and good. We want our residents to feel safe, but we never knew that. And then when the situation got to be that the, the performance declined, uh, we needed to pay a visit. There was uh, essentially uh, an eviction pending. Uh, we learned that um, we had no ability to access the property when we needed to uh, respond to an emergency repair. And so uh, these updates, you know, these informational updates might not be just the information about the person. It could be information about the property. Oh, you changed the locks. Yeah, the lease doesn't really allow for that. Or it, it states that if there's any reason that the locks need to be changed, that the owner is going to be you know, notified up front. This is actually requested. We'll handle that change for you, and we'll all end up with a copy of the keys, as an example. All right, so looking at how you handle these updates could keep you out of a situation where you don't even have access to your own asset, right? So your phone numbers, your contact information, and what about this? You're A-plus resident. You're ready to give them the, you know, the full portion of their uh, rent deposit back. How do you get in touch with them after they move out? How do you make sure that you access and, and obtain that forwarding address, right? If you're going to be mailing a check for whatever reason, um, what do you have all the information you have on file if you need to pay them? Do they have some of the latest technology and apps to be able to receive payments through their, their phone number or their email address or some other mechanism, right, a QR code, Making sure that you've got the latest as you transition is important as well. Um, you know, should someone reach out to you as a different me- through a different means once they're no longer your resident, they might be calling to ask for a recommendation on a plumber with their new resident. Okay, would they still contact you the same way? Has anything changed? So again, uh, thinking through what you want your experience to be like so you can optimize that. It's a function of your paperwork and your processes that you put together that support all of this. And so while it may seem daunting, I look at it as more uh, dynamic, right? Because you can control all this. You can navigate the setup. You can, um, you know, can control so many different elements of the experience. If you just look at uh, this from a 50,000-foot view and say, uh, what sort of scenario am I looking to create? And how do I want this creation to serve me? These are some of the better questions that, that, come, that come from uh, looking at things in a different way once you learn how to see better, so to speak, as it comes to, uh, as it pertains to this particular topic. So that's effectively what I wanted to bring together for everyone today. The idea that protecting your profits from proper paperwork with your properties is paramount, okay? And looking at how the applications, the background checks, the leases, the violations, and the information updates are all really simple subsets of this overarching topic that can put you in a position to win. And so when you look at it from this standpoint, you say and can see that this isn't that difficult. I just need to inspect what I expect, right? Think about the scenario that you're setting up for yourself. And that's going to be the key to success with having the proper paperwork that protects your property profits. So if you're picking up what I'm putting down, uh, let me know, drop it in the comments below with the word paperwork, or you could even text that keyword paperwork uh, into the phone number 602-362-8607. I got a couple surprises there that I'm happy to share with you um, 
in exchange for uh, uh, your information, I'll get this over to you and help uh, you be in a position to kind of do it yourself and start to look at some of the basic things that you can set yourself up uh, for success with in each of these areas. So again, thanks for tuning in. Hope you found this profitable investment of your time worthwhile as you look at enhancements you might be able to make to your paperwork to protect your property profits. Thanks for listening, everyone. Your host, Drew Davis, for Learn How to See Better, the only podcast out there that'll improve your vision the longer you listen.